Yeah, the word was empty. It's a great word for today, right? The tomb is E-M-P-T-Y. It's empty. Um, and, you know, as, since we're on the uh, discussion of Wordle here, I, I do think I need to tell you that uh, I've seen a lot of you playing and you're posting your scores online. And, you know, Jesus actually had something to say about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this in Matthew chapter 6, Some, when they play Wordle, proclaim their scores at the street corners that they may be seen of men. Verily, verily, I say unto you, they have received their reward. Okay, so just keep that in mind. No, I'm just kidding. I post my scores every now and then too. It's fun. Keep posting it, especially if you get it on the first or second try. That's really cool to see. Um, But yeah, I am all in on this. This is like part of my daily routine. Uh, I got to get my Wordle in for the day. It's a lot of fun. And if we're all honest, like, how many of you really wanted to win that basket? Like, there's a little bit of competitiveness in us. There's a little bit of competitiveness, competitiveness in us. We wanted to win. And it reminds me, the other day, I had a streak going. I had a streak of undefeated Wordles going, and I got down to my last guess. I had, I had incorrectly guessed five times. I had one more guess. I had solved the first three letters. I had solved the last letter. And I had, I had not solved that fourth letter. And there were like four different possibilities of what it could be. I'm telling you, I held my phone in my hand and I was shaking because the pressure was so great. I had one shot. I had one chance to, to get it right. And, and I, I say that to say, how many of you feel that pressure in life? I mean, how many times have we been told, you got one shot, you got one chance, you got to get it right, you, you, you can't mess it up. How many of you feel that pressure? You feel it at work, the pressure to perform, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to do better than the competition? How many of you feel it on social media? The pressure to be Facebook fabulous and Pinterest perfect, and as you scroll through, everybody's family is is better looking, and they apparently have it easier than than your family, and things seem to be perfect. We feel this pressure in so many areas of our life. I know there's some moms and dads in here, and you're raising kids, and like you meet with that high school guidance counselor, and they like tell you, your child has to choose the right classes and the right extracurricular activities. If they make one mistake during these four years, they're going to be, you know, it's going to ruin their life. Got to make sure they get into all the right programs and do all the right things or they'll never go to the college that they want to go to. Pressure. Singular decisions that we make every day and we, and we, and we make them every day and it, and it feels like we've got one shot. We've got one chance to get it right. Friends, we're not the first group of people to feel this kind of pressure. In fact, As I said, we're gathering with with 2,000 years of Christian history today. We're joining our voice with 2,000 years of people who have enthroned Jesus as Lord and have proclaimed His resurrection. And there is a group of Christ followers that the Apostle Paul wrote to in the city of Corinth. And the people in the city of Corinth knew the kinds of pressures that we face. They knew what it was like to to have one shot, to have one chance to build their life upon something or someone. And you see how Paul wrote to them, and apparently what we can infer from his letter to the Corinthians is that they were dealing with all kinds of 
pressure. Do you know who Paul is? Paul was an apostle that was sent from the Jerusalem church. He was commissioned with a task to take the gospel from this group of Jewish believers and to go throughout the Mediterranean and share it with those who were non-Jewish, with the Gentiles. And so along the way, Paul founded a church in the city of Corinth. And what we can tell from his letters, they felt all kinds of pressure similar to what we feel today. In fact, Corinth reminds me a lot of Bentonville. There's a lot of similarities. Corinth was a city of commerce and trade. It was the center of of those industries. It was very wealthy. It was cosmopolitan. And, And so in so many ways, it reminds me of this little community that we live in. And there were people in Corinth, we can at least infer this from the letter of 1 Corinthians, that like us, having exhausted our five guesses, they had one guess left. What is it that you're going to build your life on? What is the answer to, to how to order and, and order your life? They had one guess, and they chose M-O-N-E-Y. They chose to build their life on money, on wealth, resources, what they could accumulate and and what they could acquire, what kind of security they could gather up for themselves. We do the same thing, don't we? You know, it's been said that the person who dies with the most toys is somehow the winner. Well, I got news for you. You may die with the most toys, but you're still dead. That's just the the fact of of life. And, And so, We use our money, we use our wealth, we use our resources to gather and to accumulate things, but ultimately that's not going to build a life that lasts for eternity. We know something else about Corinth. They had one shot, and there was a group of people that chose to build their life on P-O-W-E-R. Power. Prestige and power was a big deal in Corinth. Who could exert the most political or societal influence. Those were all really, really big deals as as Corinth was at the center of a lot of political and cultural things. And so there was this, this cultural obsession with power and prestige, and it trickled down into the church. And have you ever stopped to think about how we use power, how we use coercion? We are all trying to climb a ladder. We're trying to advance in our vocations. And sometimes we use our power to manipulate relationships in our favor. Sometimes because we're feeling this pressure to succeed and to do better than the competition, we use our power to step on people, to step over people, and to keep climbing the ladder. We feel this pressure to get it right, to win the game, to perform to not mess up. And there's lots of other five-letter words and four-letter words and, and words of all sizes that we use as the answer. We use as the thing that we're going to build our life on because we do recognize that you get one shot. You get one chance. This is it. You want your life to matter for eternity. But the Bible tells a different story. And here on this Resurrection Sunday 2022, I want us to hear from Paul's letter because he's inviting them into a different story. He's inviting them to order their life in a different way. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. And in this chapter, it's Paul telling us the why of the resurrection. 
Pastor Aaron read for you the, the what and the who and the where. The gospel writers tell us what happened and give us some details. But then now Paul, 25 years after the fact, writing to the church in Corinth, is telling the church why. This is why it matters. This is the so what. And so he explains all of that in 1 Corinthians 15. I wish we could explore it all. We just don't have time. But there's enough in the first few verses to help us make sense of some things today. So verse 1 says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Now we're going to read a few more verses in this passage, but we've got to pause here. And I want to make sure you understand this first thing that Paul says in verse 3. For what I received, what was given to me as an apostle sent to share the good news, I'm passing along to you, and this is of, look at this phrase, first importance. This is the first priority. This is the most important thing that you need to know. For those of you not wanting to waste your life, for those of you wanting to build your life on something significant and to make these brief years that we have count, this is of first importance. This is what you build your life on. And he goes on to recite the most fundamental proclamation of the gospel. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I love that Paul is bringing in the Old Testament. He's saying all of the law, all of the prophets, they were moving toward this moment that according to the Scriptures, Christ would come and He would die for our sins. He was buried and He was raised on the third day. So Paul brings in the Old Testament. He said Christ is the fulfillment of all that God began to do through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel. It all culminates in Christ. And then he said if the if, if proof of the Scriptures is not enough for you, look at the eyewitness accounts. He goes on to say Jesus appeared to the apostles and the women at the tomb. Well, Paul doesn't say that, but we know that he did. He appeared to the women at the tomb and the apostles and, and Peter and 500 brothers and sisters. And then Paul lists himself last as the eyewitness to this resurrection. And so he's saying to those in Corinth and he's saying to those in Bentonville, friends, it's true. This good news of Jesus Christ, it's true. It's changed my life. It's, it's true. Every word of it, it is as good as advertised. It's true and it's good news and it'll change your life. And I've encountered the risen Christ and I'm here to tell you that he is alive. But what you may not know about Paul's story and I want to tell you today, is that his witness to the resurrection is pretty unique from all the others. He's got a pretty unique story. And he goes into that just in verse 9. Let's look at that. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. 
I'm the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He gives us just a glimpse into his story. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul's story. He used to be called Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the Jewish religious establishment. And and, and this same group of people that contributed to the death of Jesus, the same group of people that opposed Jesus, that ultimately led to his crucifixion, Paul was a part of that group of people. And the, the Jesus movement was gaining steam, and people were putting their hope and trust in this resurrected Jesus. And Paul said, that's not right. I don't agree with Saul said, that's not right. I don't agree with that. We have a very clear picture of who Messiah is. We have a clear picture of what Messiah is supposed to do. And Jesus does not fit it. And so to protect the Jewish traditions, to protect this religion, I'm going to persecute those and and put those in prison and even contribute to the death of those that confess Jesus as Lord. And we see this happening in Acts chapter 6. A powerful preacher comes onto the scene. His name is Stephen. He serves the church in lots of different ways. And in Acts 7, he delivers this amazing sermon. And the group of people that Paul was a part of, they hear this sermon, they reject it, and they drag Stephen out of the city near the same place where Jesus died, and they stoned him for his testimony about Jesus. And there was a young man that gave approval to this execution. His name was Saul. And the people, as they stoned Stephen, they laid their garments down at Saul's feet. Saul watched their clothes as they stoned Stephen, who became the first Christian martyr. And so here is Paul's life before Christ. He was wanting to make his life count. He was wanting to build his life on the traditions of his fathers, on the Jewish traditions. And if you could think of one word... For Paul's life before Christ, I would say I think it's this. W-O-R-K-S. Works. Works. It was all about working your way into salvation, but protecting these traditions of the Jewish religion. He wanted to make his life count by strict adherence to the law. And then he encounters the risen Christ. The risen Christ encounters him on the road to Damascus. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul goes on this journey to becoming Paul, someone commissioned to share this good news. And he shares the difference that this encounter made. And look what he says, but by the grace of God, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. What Paul is saying is, is by the grace of God, I've been forgiven of my former life of persecuting the church. I've been forgiven of my sins, not by my works, but by God's grace. And this grace had an effect. It transformed me. It changed me. It made me a new person. He says, no, I worked harder than all of the other apostles. And then he kind of catches himself, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Don't you love that phrase? Friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is why Jesus suffered, died, and rose again so that we might fully experience God's G-R-A-C-E, his grace. 
Friends, and this is what we build our life on. We build our life upon God's unmerited favor made possible to us through Jesus. And how many of you feel like you're on the treadmill today? You got to get the right answer. You got to perform. You got to get it all together. You got to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. If you're going to do anything in life, it's going to be because of your money, your power, or your works. And you have to make it happen. Life is short. You get it together right now. You don't have time to waste. And the gospel is such a different story. It's such a different way of life that we are invited to live when we live in the light of God's grace. Because here's what the empty tomb means. Here's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 that what we are unable to do for ourselves because of what we are, Jesus does for us because of who He is. Because of who He is, He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He extends His grace to us. This is so different than the world we live in. This is so different than the values that order our life. I feel more like this this moment that I had when I was a youth pastor. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. It's been several years ago now. And I was a new staff member. I'd never been on staff at a church before. And I'd I'd just been hired to be the youth pastor and inherited this really exciting youth group there. And I was a little nervous about going into this job, but I uh, was going to try to do my best, and th- as I got to know the kids, I discovered there was a group of boys that really enjoyed paintballing. They were really good at it. They had the, the gear, they had the masks, they had like custom guns, and they were really into paintballing, and they would go out on the weekends and, and do paintball, and we were planning our calendar and trying to get some things uh, going for the youth group, and they said, Pastor Mark, we really want to do a youth group paintball outing. I said, okay, I've, I've never paintballed before, uh, but that sounds like fun. Uh, so let's get that on the calendar and we'll do it. So we called the paintball course. We scheduled some time and uh, the day of the paintball trip uh, rolled around. Now I should tell you about some of these seniors that I had in this youth group. Um, there were three young men in that youth group. Uh, all had decided to join the armed forces. And they had just recently completed the, the military uh, aptitude test that allows you to kind of pick what you want to do, what your job will be in the armed for- forces. Of course, there's an acronym for it. I can't recall it right now. ASFAB. ASFAB. Thank you. Thank you. Because the military has an acronym for everything. So they had just completed the ASFAB. They had scored incredibly high. And the recruiter said, hey, look, whatever part of the military, whatever part of the army you want to go into, you name it, we'll put you in it. That's how well they had done. I understand they make a lot of promises too, by the way. But, but there they were. And, and so one young man decided, I want to be a paratrooper. And they said, you got it. We're going to put you through paratrooper school. The other guy said, I want to be a, a marksman in the infantry. They said, you got it. We'll sign you up for that. Uh, The other young man joined the National Guard and uh, even as a senior began uh, doing some preparations for that. So these guys not only knew their way around a paintball course, they were getting exposed to like some high-level 
tactical skills. And so, of course, they signed up for the paintball trip. Um, two of those three would go on to do uh, tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. One of those young men jumped out of an airplane over Iraq. These were serious young men. So the day of the paintball trip came, and we get to the paintball course. It's a really cool place. It's out in the woods. They have like a little camp that they set you up in. You're getting your gun. You're getting your gear, making sure nobody shoots their eye out, and uh, getting you loaded up, making sure you have paintballs. And these three young men say, uh, hey, Pastor Mark, how about the three of us take on all of y'all? I'm like, well, you know, there's like, like 14 of us. So it'd be like three versus 11. Like, That's okay. Um, yeah, we, we would like that. I'm like, are you sure? There's like three of you guys. There's like 11 of us. In fact, they said, hey, why don't we go out in the woods and we hide and you guys come try to find us? And I'm like, I mean, okay, if that's what you want to do. So these three guys, they go out in the woods, and, and we give them like 10 minutes to hide and get in position. Um, I'm sure they're out there looking for the high ground. And of course, I had no clue what they were doing. But there they were taking their positions, and I look at my army of 11, who's going to go try to find these three soon-to-be professional soldiers. I was left with all the 7th and 8th graders. Seriously, which 7th and 8th graders are awesome. I love them. But I don't know if that was the, the best. I felt a little like Gideon, if you know that story. I don't know if that was the best group to take on uh, these three. But they were a little ignorant of what was about to happen. But I was very much aware that paintballs travel at 300 feet per second. And they were going to hurt. And this was going to be hard. And I had five layers of clothes on, but I don't know that that was enough. If you get in the crosshairs of one of these guys that are you know, soon to be United States infantry men. So, man, I was starting to feel a little anxiety. Starting to feel a little pressure. And uh, the guide comes out and says, okay, 10 seconds. We're going to open this door. You guys are going to rush out into the woods. You're going to try to find them. And uh, last, team with, you know, last team standing wins. And they counted it down. They hit one, zero. The doors open up. And this innocent flock of lambs, <laughs> seventh and eighth graders, they <laughs> rush out into the woods trying to find these three young men who have hidden and are bunkered down pretty well. And I, I knew this was not going to go well. I'm kind of hanging back. But there was one of the lambs that had not yet rushed out into the woods. He was kind of ignorant of what was about to happen. And he is about to rush out, and he turns, and he sees me, very hesitant, not wanting to go out into the woods. I'm realizing what I have done at this point, and I'm breathing a little heavy. I'm a little nervous, and this little seventh grader, his name was Devin. He was about four and a half feet tall at the time. His voice had not yet changed, but he did have a gun, a paintball gun that resembled an M16. He looks at me, clearly distraught. He raises his mask. As he looks at me, he chambers around. He says, come on, Pastor Mark, get it together. And then he says, this is the real world. <laughs> he rushes off into the woods. Come on, Pastor Mark. I'll never forget that. 
we got destroyed. <laughs> we got destroyed. But isn't that what we hear every day? Come on, get it together. This is the real world. This is the real world. We hear it every day. This is the real world. It all depends upon you. you got to make it happen. There's one answer, and you have to get it right. And if you don't get it right, things are going to go bad. But I've got good news for you today. It's the good news that Pastor Aaron read. It's the good news that the worship team sang about. And is that Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave on our behalf. Christ has won the victory for us. And this victory that Christ wins because of who God is and because of who Jesus is, it's not His victory alone, but by His love and by His grace, He imparts that victory to us so that because Christ has conquered death, we too conquer death. Because Christ conquers sin, we too by His power conquer sin. Because Christ has conquered the forces of evil that come up against us in our life, we too can conquer the forces of evil in our life. What does Paul say later? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from this love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because Christ has been raised, we too will be raised. And even the sum of all of our fears, the sum of all of our pressures, is death itself. And Christ has conquered that for us. And so Paul gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And he says to us, he taunts death. He describes what happens in our resurrection as it is joined in with Christ's resurrection. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why you came today. Jesus has accomplished all of this for us. And and maybe you're here in this place and, and you're taking inventory of your life. You're thinking about the, the shape that your life is in today. And maybe you're thinking about the shot that you had. You're thinking about the chance that you had, and you know you blew it. You had one more chance with your spouse, and you blew it. You had one more chance with your kids, and you didn't come through. You, you had one more chance and you made a mess of it. And there doesn't seem to be any way to make right all that is wrong. I want to tell you what this resurrection news means for you. There's a short story written by an author named uh, Goethe. And Goethe writes this story called Faust. And in the story, Mr. Faust sells his soul to the devil in exchange for temporary power and temporary pleasures here on earth. It's from this story we get the phrase a Faustian bargain. It's when you trade something of great value that is yours for temporary benefits. 
And so Faust makes this bargain with the devil, and the story ends with Faust recognizing the kind of deal that he's made and, and what an awful deal that it is. And there was an artist that read this story, was inspired by it, and he painted a painting. He painted a picture that describes what happened in the story. The painting is called Checkmate. I'm going to show it to you. And on one side of the chessboard, you see Satan. He knows he has the upper hand. He knows he has his opponent in checkmate. They've made a very poor decision. They've chosen to build their life on P-O-W-E-R and W-O-R-K-S and all kinds of other things that ultimately pass away, things that Satan freely gives. They've built their life on all these things, and now he has him right where he wants him. He's in checkmate. And this painting became very famous. It hung in a very famous museum for a number of years. And one day in the museum, a chess grandmaster is walking the the gallery, and of course, he stops at this painting. There's lots of other paintings in this gallery he could have seen. It's a very famous painting gallery, and this is not even the most prominent painting there, but as a chess master, of course, this drew his attention, and he lingered there. He stayed there for hours. He began to study the painting. He began to look at the composition of the chessboard and look at where all the figures were, and he couldn't walk away. And after being there for, for more than an hour, suddenly he saw something that no one had ever seen before. He began to call for the curator of the museum. He began to run down the hall and he said to the top of his lungs, it is a lie. It is a lie. And then he proclaimed the good news. The king has one more move. The king has one more move. And friends, that is the message of this entire weekend as we heard the story Friday night of the death of Jesus, it looked as if the forces of death, hell, and the grave would win as the followers of Jesus placed his lifeless body in a tomb. It looked like that was the end of it. But we are gathered here today and we are proclaiming the good news that the king has one more move. In fact, the king always has another move because of the resurrection And so what is it that you've built your life on? What is it that you have built your life on? What is it that you've said, this is the answer, this works for me, this is how I'm going to order my life? And how have you seen that fall apart? I want to tell you something about this pressure that you feel. You know, we're told in so many arenas, you get one chance, this is it, don't mess it up. If you don't get it right here, you're not going to be able to correct it later. We hear that again and again and again. And I want to say to you, it's a lie. It's a lie. If you're here today, if there's breath in your lungs, if there's blood pumping through your body, if you're hearing what I am saying today, if you've heard this good news, friend, I want you to know that you, can, you will not be defined by one decision. By the grace of God, by the love and the mercy of God, the king 
always has another move. The king always has another move in your life. And the question for this Resurrection Sunday is very simple. Will you, will you trust the king to make the next move in your life? Will you trust the king of kings and the Lord of lords who conquered death, hell, and the grave for you? Will you trust the king to make the next move in your life? Will you put your hope and your trust in Jesus today? I hope today you've heard that he's worthy. I hope today you've heard of his power, of what he has done and can do and will continue to do. He's worthy, friends. Will you trust the king to make the next move in your life? I'm going to invite you to bow your head. Let's close our eyes. I want to pray with you today. And if you're saying in your heart and in your life today, you know what? I'm tired of building my life on all kinds of things that are ultimately going to pass away. I want to build my life on the G-R-A-C-E, the grace of God. If that's what you want to build your life on today, and if you want to put your hope and your trust in Jesus and allow him to make all the moves in your life, would you pray with me right now? The seat you're sitting in is a holy place. It can be an altar today. You can meet with the Lord there and right where you're at. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you always have another move. That the resurrection proclaims that the worst thing is never the last thing. By your grace and your spirit at work within us, you can redeem that which is lost. You can repair that which is broken. You can heal that which is sick. But it begins with us trusting our life to you. So Lord, I pray for that person here that you are speaking very clearly to them. And they are reaching out to you on this Resurrection Sunday and they are saying, here Jesus, here's my life. Forgive me of my sin. Enter into my life. Take control. Make the next move. Lead me by your spirit. Lord, I'm all yours. Have your way in my life. And I trust in you today. Lord, I thank you for those that are putting their hope and trust in you, for those that are renewing their hope and trust in you. And Lord, would you continue to walk with us and lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit at work within us. And it is in the name of the resurrected Christ that we pray. Amen.